1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock. Yes, once again, combining the sports zone and Extra Point as we are live from Super Bowl Radio Row on this Thursday, February 9th. Plenty of fun to get into here today. We'll be joined by Sam Monson with Pro Football Focus around 10.15 today. Adam Budelli with StubHub at 11 a.m. Gus Farad at 11.15 a.m. and Sean King with VEASAN at 12.15 p.m. and we'll see what else we stumble our way into as we continue on here up until one o'clock. Uh, but Bob, we didn't, uh, we woke up to some big time news, that's for sure, and we'll get into that here shortly. But let's first set the scene with the poll questions, and it's the same poll question. We want to get uh, the uh, overview opinion of the week here, KDOS1060.com. Who wins Super Bowl 57? And Corey, what are the early returns? New day, but still same lead. Eagles in charge, 59% of the vote. Chiefs at 41% over in KDOS1060.com. And we'll also have our Twitter poll question at KDOS 1060. Uh, which unit has the advantage on Sunday? I think these unit groups are certainly a fascinating angle to look into. Chiefs defense or Eagles offense? Corey, what's out in front? Leading right now, Eagles offense, 63.6% of the vote, while Chiefs defense is sitting kindly at 36.4. That's over on Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Uh, I do want to make sure that I make this point as well. If you missed the news yesterday morning, KDOS AM 1060 has an app. Android users, it's coming shortly. Apple users, it's available to you now. Uh, we have actually been working with the team here at the studios to get some prizes up on the app, and they just added some prizes this morning, some listener rewards for you. So download that app, go to your uh, Apple Play store, type in KDOS 1060, and you can download the new KDOS AM 1060 app. But Bob, let's not wait any further big news for the Phoenix Suns. I'm sure you've all heard it by now when we were sleeping. Kevin Durant, TJ Warren coming back to Phoenix. Phoenix is sending four first round picks, 2023, 2025, 2027, 2029. Mikel Bridges, Jay Crowder, and Cam Johnson to the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I was actually still up. It was announced last night at 11 o'clock as when the first thing I saw about this. Uh, the interesting thing, ESPN reporting this morning, the Suns couldn't get a hold of Monty Williams, uh, who was apparently asleep, and uh, I assume Monty knows it by now, uh, which kind of makes me wonder, is there some kind of uh, concert uh, issue now or non-concert? They're not in concert uh, between front office ownership and head coach, because you would think that you would make that trade with the coach knowing that it happened, but... Apparently, ESPN reporting that they couldn't get hold of Monty to tell him about the trade last night. <laughs> uh, I'm not a big fan of this trade, and uh, 
I, you know, you're taking a player who's you know, unfortunately been injured frequently, including right now, by the way, and we're not exactly sure when Kevin Durant will play. And you're giving up you know, your two best younger players, uh, or two of the three best younger players, and four draft picks. So they better win this year. Yeah, that's what this suggests to me, is that this trade seems that you are thinking that you can win now. And I guess the odds uh, as well think that that's the case as the Suns moved to 5-1 to one on BetMGM and Caesars and plus 460 on FanDuel. The Celtics remain the favorite right now at plus 280. And the Bucks, uh, last I saw on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, were sitting at plus 420. Uh, before we go any further into kind of dissecting this trade, Shams here is reporting that the Milwaukee Bucks are acquiring Jay Crowder in a yeah. trade with the Brooklyn Nets for five second round picks. <laughs> it's kind of a, you know, not exactly, a, you know, the Suns gave up four first rounders and yeah, the, there's a flip where five second rounders. That's uh, not much equity there either. Uh, you'd be an idiot if you bet on the Suns at five to one to win the championship. Uh, you know, even if you think they're going to win, that's, a, that's a, just a bad number. As, we, as we're also referencing here, today is the NBA trade deadline. It's 1 o'clock local time, so we'll be trying to keep our eye on the NBA trades that are happening in addition to what's going on here at Radio Row. But as we continue to dissect this trade here, we had talked about it earlier in the week, and I had asked you, who are the untouchables for the Phoenix Suns? I asked you about Cam Johnson. You said you like him, but it's possible you could see him moving on somewhere else. The name you absolutely mentioned was Mikhail Bridges, and now he's in this trade. Yeah, the first saw the original, you know, the text alert, I just assumed Aiton was in this trade, and obviously he's not, and uh, I'm not even sure, you know, I remember there were reports over the summer that uh, people in the Nets uh, organization did not want Aiton, and when I was, you know, talking about the Durant trade at that point, so... I don't know, maybe that's the, you know, their ownership and their front office hasn't changed, so I wonder if their opinion is the same as it was then. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, the Bridges thing, uh, yeah, he has worked so hard to become a you know more rounded player. Uh, also, I thought on Tuesday night when they had their, you know, they only had their you know, preferred starting lineup for seven minutes the entire season uh, intact together, playing together until uh, Tuesday night, and I actually thought that you know, they showed some signs of how this could really work out. I'm not so sure that the Suns would uh, not have a better chance of winning the championship this year with the old roster as opposed to the new roster, and I don't know how they're going to stop anybody. You mentioned Mikhail Bridges here, and he was one of the guys that I really wanted to see him take that next leap due to all of the injuries that the Suns had suffered this season. And we know how good he is on defense. Wanted to see him be a more prolific and consistent scorer. And maybe my expectations of him hitting those benchmarks was just a little bit too premature, uh, wanting him to to get there earlier on in the season. And he struggled a little bit, but here of late, you look at what he's been doing as that two-way player, as that prolific scorer, he certainly uh, has elevated his game and taken that next leap. Uh, so certainly he is one person that if and if you look at what uh, Adrian Wojnarowski's report was uh, in story from ESPN this morning,
morning. They really didn't want to move on from Mikhail Bridges, but the nets were not going to, the conversations were not going to continue. They were not going to uh, get any sort of traction or deal done unless Mikhail was part of the trade. Looks like that's how the conversations were earlier in the week. Uh, conversations had died down. Then Matt Ishbia, the new owner of the Phoenix Suns, told James Jones, nope, we're going to make one more run at it and decided to go and, and put in Mikhail Bridges. But you certainly are uh, moving in a direction where if you don't win now, uh, how we'll be looking back on this and saying, was this the right move? Was this the right success? Because to your point, uh, now what are you going to be relying on? Tory Craig and Ish Wainwright for defense? And for some offense. Uh, you know, there's, somebody's going to get some shots when those four guys aren't on the floor. You know, I mean, the main four guys. And uh, it's, uh, you know, they're going to have to have some kind of production. I thought that uh, I actually liked their rotation the way that it was. And as I mentioned, I, I actually think they had a better chance of winning the championship before last night than they do right now. And you know, I'm just talking about this year. Uh, and uh, like I said, this is a. Uh, pretty much uh, a one and done thing and uh this becomes you know this is on durant but it is interesting how they have the super teams form now and you know it's been going on for actually it's been going on for 50 years if you take a look at the history of the nba a little more blatant now the way that the players you know can demand trades and so forth but uh you know will chamberlain demanded the trade for the Lakers to the Lakers in 1968-69 and uh, that's been going on for that long and probably even before that but that's the biggest example no pun intended that I could come up with. Well you were talking about super teams and if you were thinking that the Nets were going to be a super team I believe Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, when that super team got formed, ended yep. up playing together for a total of 16 games. Yeah, and I was, uh, I, I probably disliked that situation at the time more than this one. <laughs> so, uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the Suns, uh, good luck to the Suns, and I hope everybody's healthy, and uh, we'll see how this goes. But uh, I just think it's... Uh, an owner trying to make a splash, I'm assuming, and uh, good luck to them. But uh, if they don't have a parade this year, they're not having a parade anytime soon. When it comes to, uh, I guess, some sort of updates injury-wise here, the last we knew prior to the trade on February 7th, the Nets head coach had said that KD, quote, had a really good report in his checkup with the doctor. Adrian Wojnarowski, though, was reporting that he wasn't expected back until after the All-Star break, so I would assume that that is the same similar timeline uh, now that he is with the Phoenix Suns. In addition to that, though, they're getting back T.J. Warren, a player that was drafted by uh, the Phoenix Suns, so he returns uh, with, uh, he's played 26 games with the Nets this season, shooting 51% from the floor, 33.3% from three, 9.5 points per game, and 2.8 rebounds, but in January alone, Warren has been listed as dealing with a rib, knee, and shin injuries, and he's also been missing some time. He's been basically hurt for two years, unfortunately. You know, I was a huge fan of him at NC State. Was very excited when the Suns drafted him. Uh, was disappointed when the Suns you know, did not retain him. Uh, so, you know, I like that part. But, you know, once again, you got another injured player. And they're already telling you that they really don't care what happens the rest of the regular season because they don't have any idea when Durant's going to be on the floor again. 
And, uh, you know, Booker is not playing back-to-back games for a while, which is the right thing to do. And that includes he's not playing tonight. And that was announced before the trade last night. So, uh, you know, hopefully they're not playing in a you – know, can you imagine doing all this and you're in a play-in round? Uh, how's that going to work out? If, it, if they're one and done in the play-in round, uh, this is just a complete waste of time and a huge mistake. Didn't the Clippers kind of try to do this, piece things together, and it didn't quite go according to plan? I can't keep track of the Clippers. I'm sure <laughs> they've done so many things I can't keep – in fact, right now I can't keep track of who's coming and going – because it looks like Westbrook might end up with the Clippers today at some strategic oh, point or afterwards. They're, you know, the Jazz are going to buy out his contract for sure, and he's going to end up either you know, one or two or three places, and the Clippers are certainly mentioned in that group. We will absolutely be getting into much more regarding NBA trades and this Suns trade as well as we continue on here on Extra Point. But Sam Monson with Pro Football Focus is coming up on the other side of the break. Extra Point live from Super Bowl Radio Row here on KDOS AM 1060. Monday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. It's James Out West featuring Ryan Brooks as the duo breaks down the NFL, NBA, and the local sports scene here on KDUS AM 1060. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. And as always, you can follow us online at KDOS1060.com. Fortunate enough to be joined by Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. You can always follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam on Twitter as well. Sam, it's Kayla and Bob. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fantastic. Excited to be back here on Super Bowl Radio Row. Um, there's a lot we can ask you because you are so knowledgeable about a lot of things when it comes to the NFL. So let's start here with um, the Arizona Cardinals and what their needs are for the offseason because it really does look like they need a lot. Yeah. Uh, so where would you suggest that they start, assuming that the head coaching situation is going to get sorted out here soon? Yeah, and that's the thing. Obviously, that's the starting point is, is figuring out who's coming in and what they're going to be doing, what their vision is for this whole thing. Um, but once a coach is in situ, I think they have some issues. They have to figure out where they stand at quarterback, and I think that's probably the biggest holdup with this whole thing is Kyla Murray obviously is a is injured for a start, so there's that unknown. How long is he going to be out for? What is that going to look like going forward? Um, but they're kind of tied to him, so a new coach needs to figure out how they're going to utilize Kyla Murray. What kind of offense are we going to be running? How does he play the game to best uh, take advantage of the skills that he has? But then I think it's got to be defense and it's got to be offensive weaponry. You know, those are the two things that I think you really need to focus on. If Kyler Murray's your guy, you need to get him somebody to throw to. You need to make sure that he has as many weapons as possible. You look at all these teams in the playoffs, generally speaking, the quarterbacks have places to go with the football. They've got players that can take advantage of the skills that they have. And a lot of the times, the teams that kind of run into a wall in the postseason, it's because they didn't have enough of those guys. You know, Buffalo arguably ran into problems once teams were able to take away Stephon Diggs. They didn't have someone that could step up and be Stephon Diggs when Diggs was taking all the attention away. Dallas were so heavily reliant on CeeDee Lamb. Once you got beyond CeeDee Lamb, it wasn't as much of a problem for opposing defenses. And then you have a team like Philadelphia are sort of evidence of the opposite. You bring in A.J. Brown, and all of a sudden, um, Devontae Smith looks better. Dallas Goddard looks better. Jalen Hurts looks better. It's a force multiplier when you're able to get 
enough weapons around the quarterback. Is that why, uh, sorry, I'm going to step on you here, Bob, for a second to follow up on that. Is, is that why maybe what Travis Kelsey is doing and what Patrick Mahomes are doing uh, with the Chiefs is so kind of special right now because he is the go-to guy and yet he's still getting open and yet they're still putting up some historic numbers? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're the one that kind of went the other way, right? And last offseason, they traded away a number one wide receiver and they arguably got better. They don't have Tyreek Hill this season. Sure, they reinvested some of that money and they bring in Juju Smith-Schuster. They trade for Kadarius Toney. And these are, I think, pretty important moves. We saw in the AFC title game when they got late in the game and they, they literally ran out of wide receivers. It doesn't work if it's just Mahomes to Kelsey. But if you have any other threat, they are able to maintain this incredibly high level. I think largely because of this kind of tel uh, telepathic connection that the two of them have, you can take away whatever the play call was. You can figure out how they want to go to Kelsey, what they're going to run, what the route is. You can take away what the chalkboard draws up. But what's exponentially harder to take away is the mid-play adjustment that they're both able to make on the fly and be on the same page. And that, I think, is why you know it sounds so simple. Why can't you just stop Travis Kelsey catching the ball? Like He's the only guy that they want to go to. Just double-team him. Just take him away. It's because of that. You can take away the initial play, and then both of them adjust mid-play, go to something else, attack the space that you've left, and it's almost impossible to stop that happening. This Super Bowl is a little different for one reason, it, you know, many reasons, but I'm going to start with one obvious one physically, the Patrick Mahomes ankle thing, Jalen Hurts in the shoulder. Which of those two injuries most has your attention when you're handicapping the game on Sunday? Yeah, I think all the attention is on Mahomes and his ankle, but I think Jalen Hurts' shoulder might be the bigger problem. Um, we've seen now Mahomes deal with that ankle for a while, uh, and it's only getting healthier uh, the longer we go. Um, he's also stylistically the type of quarterback that, I mean, sounds ridiculous, but needs his ankle less than other quarterbacks. You know, he doesn't use conventional footwork. He's happy throwing without his back foot on the ground. Like, he's able to work around those kinds of things because that's the way he plays the game naturally. But Jalen Hurts has not been the same guy since he came back from that shoulder injury. It, it, we sort of forget about it because they keep running him into contact. They'll throw him at a linebacker and they'll use him as part of the design run game. But his passing has not been as efficient. It hasn't looked as good since he got injured with that shoulder. And I think that is a potential issue in this game, particularly if the game script goes against Philadelphia, which hasn't really happened this season. They've been front runners. They've got 700-plus uh, snaps of playing with a lead this year, by far the most in the NFL. But what happens if Mahomes and the Chiefs get a couple of early scores and all of a sudden Philadelphia is in a double-digit deficit and Jalen Hurts has to pass them back into the game? That, I think, is a big question mark. Sam Monson, you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam on Twitter. Coming to us from Pro Football Focus right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. All right, so the eye test tells us that the offensive line and the defensive line for the Eagles are incredibly stout groups. What do the metrics of PFF tell us? And I guess put that in perspective to historic metrics. Yeah, P uh, the Eagles have got the number one offensive line in the NFL. They've had the number one offensive line in the NFL every week this season. So I do the, the offensive line rankings at PFF. They, they were the number one in the preseason, and every week of the season they've been number one. Every single starter on that line is at least a top seven player at that position. So not only do they not have a weak link, every one of their starters is a top 10 player. Like that's the kind of caliber that that offensive line is. And that I think is pretty unprecedented. Like you have to go a long way back to find an offensive line that can boast similar 
um, capabilities across the board. And, and it's a huge strength for this team. And it's, it's helped a little bit by Jalen Hurts and the way that offense functions, but it's absolutely a strength of this team. Their defensive front, obviously the sack numbers speak for themselves, but the pressure rate backs it up as well. They were the number one team in the league in terms of pressure rate this season, um, right up there with Dallas. But their sack rate is higher because of the coverage on the back end. James Bradbury and Darius Slay and those guys, they make it so that the pressure that the Eagles get actually gets home more often because the coverage is stickier and it's able to cause quarterbacks to hold the ball a little bit longer. So I think the fact that that defensive front is able to generate a ton of pressure, it's league-leading kind of rate. It's not necessarily historically great. I think the unit that they had the last time they won the Super Bowl was arguably better up front. But the difference being that group on the back end this year is fantastic, and it's really helping th those guys maximize their effectiveness by getting sacks, not just pressures. Just to follow up on that, so how would you break down the Eagles' offense against the Chiefs' defense and vice versa, the Chiefs' offense against the Eagles' defense? Yeah, I mean, I think the Eagles' offense is in good shape if, they, if the game script stays in their favor. You know, if they are able to be a front-running team again in this game or at least keep things on an even keel, I think they're going to have success because that offensive line is great. Jalen Hurts brings that rushing threat. They are dangerous with those receivers. They get a lot of big plays on the back end because teams are forced to play man coverage against them because of that run threat. So as long as things stay to script, I think the offense will have success. It will be able to move the ball and, and do fine. What we talked about earlier is the question mark, is what happens if the game script goes against them? And the uh, Chiefs are able to put scoreboard pressure on them and change their game plan. That is the potential unknown. The other side of the ball is going to be a great matchup because I think the Eagles do have a couple of favorable spots. Those edge rushers, Brandon Graham, Hassan Reddick, against those Kansas City offensive tackles, I think is a potential advantage in Philadelphia's favor. I think ultimately when you're starting off with Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, you have to expect the offense will have success, that the Chiefs will be able to move the ball and, and do well, but the Eagles have a very good defense. Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. When it comes to the positional battles for uh, Sunday Super Bowl, where do you identify the biggest factors on Sunday? I mean, I think those that edge rusher matchup we just talked about is a big one. Not only are they good players and sort of mismatches because I think they're just better than the Chiefs' offensive tackles, but those edge rushers for Philadelphia are unusual body types. They're awkward players to block, particularly for the kind of man-mountain offensive tackle like Orlando Brown Jr. He's, he's a huge guy. Him trying to get down to block somebody like Brandon Graham, who's a very sort of short, squat, low-to-the-ground type of pass rusher. Hassan Reddick on the other side is, you know, an undersized guy as well, somebody that was made into an off-the-ball linebacker when he first came into the league. These are awkward pass rushers for these guys to try and block. So I think they have an advantage both in just overall ability level, but also stylistically, I think that is a big mismatch in Philadelphia's favor. We've seen special teams, a handful of these postseason games, special teams, a couple games have flipped because of that. Does either of these teams have an edge on special teams? I think they're both pretty good special teams units. The, the Chiefs have been talking about, um, you know, Dave Tube, their, their special teams coordinator, had a, a, a famous sort of kick return play um, for the Bears back in the day, which he let slip on uh, opening night. Is still in the playbook here for Kansas City. So I wonder if one of them brings out some kind of trick play on special teams to help swing things. But I don't think it's a massive edge for either team uh, just 
in isolation unless one of them is able to, to break out something special and, and create a play that, that we're not anticipating. There's no metric here when it comes to identifying head coaches and who you would potentially give the edge to. Andy Reid has the experience of being in plenty of Super Bowls, finally getting one uh, with the Chiefs. Then you have Nick Sirianni and kind of how he's evolved this year as a head coach. Uh, In general, though, what direction do you kind of lean in terms of being able to have that edge from a head coaching standpoint? I think they're both extremely good head coaches, obviously. I think Andy Reid has the advantage before the game starts. Um, I think his preparation, his ability to create that offense, his script, all those kinds of things are going to be outstanding. But where Andy Reid has um, let himself down a little bit in the past is the in-game stuff, whether it's uh, clock management in tight situations, whether it's the occasional go-for-it-or-not kind of decision in the game. That is the area where I think Nick Seriani is very strong. The Eagles have one of the best analytics departments in the NFL. They are extremely progressive as a team. They understand how to steal win percentage points here and there. They understand when they should be going for fourth downs. They're one of the best in the NFL at getting them when they go for them as well, which is a sort of underrated component of this whole thing. The numbers can tell you when you should go for it or when you're not, but you still need to have the correct play call. And the Eagles with this, you know, the the boss Chris Collinsworth coined the, the double cheek push, right? This two guys driving the quarterback over the line on these fourth and short situations they're better than anybody else in the NFL at converting on those play calls that's where I think Nick Sirianni is, is going to have the advantage in this game what or who are we not talking about to this point that you think will play a big role in deciding the winner on Sunday I think the Chiefs defensive backs are sort of flying under the radar a little bit they're young they're inexperienced um, but they're being they're sort of held up as the reason that Philadelphia is a better team you know they have a deeper roster it's more complete their overall roster 1 to 53 is supposed to be stronger than Kansas City's but I think a lot of that is just because the Chiefs DBs are not high on kind of name recognition they're rookies or they're young guys but if you watch how they're performing they're playing well they're making critical defensive plays even in this playoff run I don't think the gap between the Eagles you know players 10 through 53 on the roster is as big as people are making it out to be before we let you go here Sam you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam how does it unfold Super Bowl 57 who's the winner I think the the kind of feeling, the the betting line all the way through the week, it's been Philadelphia being favored because the perception is that roster is deeper. Anytime the starting point, though, is is that trio of Andy Reid, Mahomes, and Kelsey, I'm keeping the Chiefs as favored, and I'm, I'm backing them. So I think the Chiefs end up winning a pretty close game. Well, we really appreciate you taking some time with us here on Radio Row, and enjoy the rest of the week. No problem. Thanks for having me. Once again, he is Sam Monson, Pro Football Focus. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Well, Bob, I uh, was able to watch an interaction here with uh, Rob Gronkowski and Adam Vinatieri, and they saw each other here at Radio Row. And Adam Vinatieri yelled out to Rob, are you ready to go? Are you going to make the kick? And Rob is ready for his kick of destiny that is uh, happening. If you haven't, I'm sure you've heard it by now. The uh, All the commercials yeah. for FanDuel that are ready to go for Rob's live 25-yard field goal attempt. Uh, so he is feeling good and ready to go. And his kicking coach, Adam Vinatieri, is is pumped. He had uh, some fist bumps and everything, ready to go, ready to roll. I like Gronk's chances better if Adam's kicking. (laughs) Yeah, I think everyone else who's 
part of that uh, process as well. It feels a lot better if Adam's the one kicking. Much more coming to you from Radio Row here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 o'clock today. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro live from Super Bowl Radio Row. And there's a lot going on this week and especially today as well. Uh, You have... The NBA trade deadline coming up at 1 o'clock local time. You had what the Suns did overnight in trading for Kevin Durant, TJ Warren, uh, Mikhail Bridges, and Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, plus four first-round draft picks are going back to the Nets. Here's what we do know so far is that uh, Jay Crowder will not be going to Brooklyn. There has been a trade for him to the Milwaukee Bucks for five second-round picks. Uh, And then just a couple of minutes ago, there's been reports that the Houston Rockets actually have interest in Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges. Yeah, it'd be interesting if, uh, you know, I kind of like what the Nets did the last 24 hours, uh, really 48 hours if you go back to Sunday, I guess. That's longer than 48 hours since Sunday, since the Kyrie trade. Yeah, getting Din Dinwiddie and you know, Finney Smith and draft picks from Dallas and getting uh, Bridges and Cam Johnson and four first round picks from the Suns. I actually liked the Nets roster better at the end of yesterday than I did before yesterday. And for the Suns, I liked their roster better before last night ended than uh, than actually after last night ended. Well, let's bring the conversation that we were having off air to on air. And uh, this is where we differ. Uh, I did not think that the roster as it was currently constructed, if we were looking at 7 p.m. on February 8th, was good enough to win an NBA championship for the Phoenix Suns. I do have questions about whether or not they are good enough to win an NBA championship as we're sitting here at 10:40 a.m. on February 9th. Because you bring in Kevin Durant, you obviously have a perennial scorer. You have another option, so it's not just Devin Booker, but you had to give up some really vital, critical pieces to the puzzle here. You still have question marks at point guard in, in terms of the backup situation. You still have trying to figure out uh, some of your wing defenders, as we were talking about. Is it you know are you really relying on Tory Craig or? really relying on Ish Wainwright. So there's certainly question marks here that I just wonder, is this going to be enough? It's a first nice step in the right direction, but we differ on on a couple of different things. True. Uh, yeah. First up, I don't know who's the best team in the NBA. I mean, I watched the Celtics some, uh, and I know they have the best record, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, you know, they were you – know, not necessarily one and done, but uh, in the Eastern Conference, you know, go against Milwaukee, and we don't know what any of these rosters are going to look like by 1 o'clock, apparently. But uh, look at Milwaukee, and I kind of like what Milwaukee does and how they match up and if they're healthy, and that's been a case for them this year, along with everybody else, it seems like, in the NBA. But I don't know who is the best team in the uh, in the NBA. And I just like the way that the Suns, 
had uh, you know, with Booker coming back, and we're assuming that you know, he's healthy from here on out. And uh, you know, I just like the way that they're. I thought they had eight or nine guys. Uh, a couple guys developed, you know, while they were you know forced to play. And uh, you know, I don't think that they're guys that you want as like your you know sixth or seventh men. But uh, if you want to go seven, eight, nine, uh, I could definitely buy that. But. Uh, I just don't understand how this is supposed to work. I don't know how they're going to stop anybody. I don't I mean anybody. Okay, Chris Paul's not the defender he used to be. Durant's not the defender he used to be. Uh, Durant has been injured, and I believe it's now three of the last four seasons, uh, and he's injured right now. Uh, I just, you know, I just, I just hope this is. Uh, you know, I hope I'm wrong. But I just, uh, I would be really surprised and quite frankly shocked if this team is currently construction, constructed wins a championship. What does this do for DeAndre Ayton and his role with the Phoenix Suns now? So uh, Ayton, is it maybe just the public who has the ire of Ayton? I mean, we've seen some heated exchanges between him and Monty Williams dating back to last postseason a couple of times so far this season. Uh, So you certainly have that element here. I've heard uh, Chris Mannix say that the Nets didn't want DeAndre Ayton, so that's why he was not included in any of this. So maybe suggesting that the Suns still aren't happy with him but now all of a sudden uh, he is going to be more and more vital than he was before if he's going to keep putting up you know 35 and 15 a night well I got news for you he's going to get the ball less now than he did before and I don't think he got the ball enough before um, you know, he's going to get fewer shots for sure yeah Booker's you know, we assume Booker's back and healthy and Durant's going to take shots now Durant is somebody who does share the ball I mean he's not a ball you know, dominant guy. He doesn't need the ball, the time to be effective. And you know, he's proven that he can play with others. I mean, he's also proven that he wants to be the man. Uh, but, you know, Aiton's going to get fewer shots than he's ever gotten, I would assume, at this point. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned yesterday, and I've mentioned this more than once over the years, uh, and I think I just kind of took it a step further yesterday, uh, in, in my 20-something years here, I don't think there's been a player in any sport professionally that has been less appreciated than DeAndre Ayton. And every time something goes wrong, including the playoffs last year in Game 7, when Booker and Chris Paul also sucked, it's Ayton's fault every time something goes wrong around here. Uh, When it comes to getting to the foul line, I think we'll be able to finally have a player that's going to get some shots at the foul line in uh, Kevin Durant. Okay, so there's another knock on Ayton. Okay, that's fine. Um, I would assume so. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And, uh, you know, Booker gets to the, he's got, Booker's gotten the foul on a lot more this year when he's been healthy earlier in the season before he got injured. We'll get into much more around the NBA trades here. Plenty of other guests coming up. We still have uh, Adam Bedelli with StubHub, Gus Farratt, uh, former NFL quarterback, and Sean King with VEASAN all in today's program. It is the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you live from Radio Row here on KDOS AM 1060 and as always online at KDOS1060.com.
Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060, live from Super Bowl Radio Row. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until 1 p.m. as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We're expected to be joined uh, moving things around. Gus Farratt, former NFL quarterback, is expected to join us. I see him just on the other side of the hall here, uh, but uh, waiting for him to make his way over to our table. So we'll interrupt our conversation once Gus does in fact join us but uh, let's continue some Phoenix Suns conversation and NBA trade deadline news there is one thing that is probably um, hitting the back burner a little bit today because of the Kevin Durant news and that is what happened in the introductory press conference with Matt Ishbia yesterday if we go back to Tuesday night Chris Haynes of TNT reported uh, that there is be there is a role for Isaiah Thomas shortly after a statement was given to local reporters that Thomas won't have a position in the team's front office and isn't part of the transition. Ishbia in that introductory press conference yesterday had an opportunity to squelch that, uh, but instead here was one of his quotes, quote, there's no role for Isaiah at this time. Another quote, there's nothing happening right now. So certainly at this time and right now, pique your interest. Yeah, gets your attention for sure. And uh, yeah, considering that Isaiah, uh, you know, his unbelievable playing career uh, hasn't uh, exactly you know, hit the jackpot very many times when he's left uh, the playing days, whether it be as an executive for the CBA, whether it be the you know, the role he had with the Knicks. Obviously, he had some off the court trans- uh, transgressions with the Knicks and. Uh, just to have Isaiah Thomas even mentioned in this organization after everything the organization has gone through is kind of mind-boggling to me. Uh, mind-boggling is a great way of putting it. It's just something that feels like it can't happen. And it, and I don't even know if there's a grace period of, of time because you mentioned everything that the organization just went through. So if let's say this news came out uh, six months from now, if that makes it any better or any worse, uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And uh, Gus, there's a, there's a chair right there if you would like to pull it around for yourself. Someone stole our chairs uh, this morning and we weren't able to... I, it was, but we are joined now here, Gus Farratt, former NFL quarterback uh, here on Radio Row. Bob Kemp, he's also on the line. Bob and uh, Kayla with you. Gus, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for taking some time here with us. I, I, I want to get your perspective. You've been an NFL quarterback for a long time, 1994 to 2008. What do you look back as keys to longevity, keys to being available? Uh, hard work right uh, and understanding and being able to learn different offenses so uh, for me it was all about I played for seven teams so I had to be able to expand my mind and be able to take in any situation that I could and so um, it was really uh, uh, for me just putting my nose to the grindstone working hard and showing everybody that I can play this game well that's fantastic we're also joined here by Bo McMillan Bo and Gus uh, Bob is also with us. Bob Kemp is on the line. So, Bo, what do you got? Uh, what do you got cooking for us? Well, Bob, good to see you. Thanks for having us on. I'm here with my brother Gus Ferrat, and I caught the tail end of that little story. And I got to tell you, I've been a football fan my whole life, and this guy's story 
was one of the best in footballs and how he had to fight and how long he got to play for and how successful he was. You don't see that in a football career that often. That doesn't come around that often, and it was awesome. Yeah. And we're working with NFL alumni media now. We got our show. It's Bo Mack and Al Bubba Baker. We're the food, we're the fanatics of food and football. And really what we do is we talk about sports, we talk about life, family, and fun, and we do that using the power and the first language that we both have is food and football. And I'll say that I went to his restaurant last night, Kayla out in Scottsdale, yeah. and he fed me like a pig. It was unreal what he gave me to eat. I was so I fell asleep on the way home. It was a total food coma. So if you love food yeah. and you love football because you got big screens everywhere, yes. it's the place to well, go. Well, Gus, first of all, what was on the menu? And second of all, Bo, where is uh, the restaurant? My restaurant is 7501 East Camelback. And I know there's sports fanatics out there. We're actually the old Don and Charlie's. They built a hotel called Santa House. Right, okay. And my restaurant called is a Mediterranean restaurant. Really kind of approachable food. Fresh oh pastas, hand-stretched pizzas, uh, a little Moroccan influence, a little Spanish influence, and a little Italian influence. But, you know, in the valley here, I cut my teeth cooking at the sanctuary for 23 years, and this is my newest project, and I'm just proud to work with so many great people that I do. And then, obviously, this weekend, the restaurant is really known kind of for its vibe and its energy. It was, it was, it was, yeah, and, and it was hopping, as yeah. the young kids would say. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, Gus, I want to ask your perspective here on just kind of the evolvement of the quarterback position. Um, you know, we see so much more about the mobility uh, being involved in the quarterback position. We see so much more about the designed run aspect of the quarterback. So is there more to the development that we just don't see beyond that? Yeah, we don't know where it's going to go because it's obviously evolved. And I think that goes with a lot of coaching style. Like when I came into the league in 94, it was more two-back system, tight end always on the line. Hey, we're going to do big play action. Quarterback stays in the pocket, right? That's all you worked on, staying in the pocket, being able to move your feet. But we saw somebody who won seven Super Bowls doing that in Tom Brady, right? Yeah. So uh, that, that it works. But also the way that the guys play the game now and the rules to protect those guys really helps with them being able to escape the pocket and do things that we've never seen before. So it's a lot of fun. I don't know what the next progression in this is. It probably goes backwards, right? And we see teams that are successful with mm -hmm. putting a fullback in, you know, closing it back up and running the ball again. So I think it just ebbs and flows. But right now we have incredible players and they're so much fun to watch. You're no doubt about that. Bob, you want to chime in there? Yeah, I just want to ask us. I'm going to put you back in a quarterback's role here. If you're the quarterback against the Eagles defense, how would you attack that group? Uh, uh, and vice versa, if you're uh, the quarterback uh, you know, going against the Chiefs defense. Yeah, I think for if I'm if I'm the Eagles quarterback, I'm saying, look, block Chris Jones. That's yeah. all I want you guys to do, right? <laughs> Go block Chris Jones, like wherever he is. Let's double team him. Don't let him get to me, right? And if, if I'm Patrick Mahomes, I'm just saying, hey, guys, let's just do what we do. Right, because you see success no matter who they play against. If they can keep him clean and he can do what he does, it's going to be a long day for that Eagles defense. But I think it's going to be a really good game, and it's going to come down to both lines of scrimmage in reality because that Eagles line is they're veterans, they're smart, they know how to play the game. And, uh, you know, the guys on the other side for the Chiefs, they just do such a good job with pass protection, and they have one of the greatest minds in football in Andy Reid. Mm. You, you mentioned the, the offensive line there. I want to know your perspective from a, a quarterback role. How much do you work with you know, the center and the offensive line, and how much do you guys have to make sure you're on the same page, being able to see the same things to get everybody else ready to go on the same page? Well, I've played with both kind of centers, right? Ones that kind of 
you tell them what to do, they do it, right? They're amazing at it. And I've played with other ones like Matt Burke, who you didn't even have to do anything because he knew everything to call before you did, right? He was so good at it. But the thing is, is that you have to be on the same page. If you and your center are on the same page, because that center is running that offensive line, and he's telling, hey, we're going to go right because we got to go block this way, right, or whatever. Sometimes it's a quarterback doing it. Sometimes it's a center. But when you have smart players on both positions, you know, it ends up working out really well for your team. Is that what you see with Jason Kelsey and this Eagles team? Yeah, I mean, there's just veterans, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey. They just they just know how to do it. I mean, and uh, if if I feel like if they're down in any kind of way, if they're having a hard time, yeah. that's the group that's going to pull them through it. Ah, the rest of the team. The rest yeah. of the team. It's like yeah. when your pasta dishes pulled me through it. <laughs> I hit a wall, and then the next dish came out, and then I was back at it. Well, Bo, what's your prediction for Sunday? You know, I, I just made my prediction. I, I think it's going to be a great game. I think we could see some lead changes. I agree. I think that line, and I, I don't necessarily know if it's going to be a super high-scoring game, but I'm, I'm taking Philly, and I'm hopefully eating cheesesteak Sunday night. Gus, what do you think? How do you see this one playing out? I'm kind of with Bo. I've been kind of behind the Eagles the whole way. I think their experience, uh, people, obviously Patrick Mahomes, I think is the better quarterback, but I love what Jalen Hurts can do as far as his his demeanor and how he stays so key. If he has a mistake, it's not going to change him. But I think it's that offensive line. I see when you have veteran leadership like that, it takes you so far in big games. Gus Farratt, former NFL quarterback, Bo McMillan, one more time on where your restaurant is located here in town. 75, uh, well, 70, 7501 East Camelback. It's Kala Restaurant at the Senna House Hotel. Come down and see us and have a drink. Well, perfect. Uh, all this mixes of flavors and uh, dishes sounds amazing to head on down there. And maybe we can watch the big game there. You uh, can do I, that. I can, I, can, I can attest to that. <laughs> well, Thanks, thank Gus. you both all very right. much for the time. All right, I appreciate it. Bye, Bob. You. We're uh, wrapping up hour number one of Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break right here on KDOS AM 1060, KDOS1060.com. That was Gus Farratt and Bo McMillan. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you here on Radio Row Super Bowl Week.